Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12. We'll be looking this morning at verses 12 through 27. 12 through 27. Let me pray for us, and we'll turn our attention to God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this gathering today. We thank you, Lord, for the family that you have ascended or assembled in this place, uh, that we can call ourselves a family, and you have knit us together with your love. And so, Father, we ask that uh, you would bless us with a love for your Word, a desire to obey it, and a desire to be changed by it. And so, Lord, please have our attention where it needs to be during this time, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When most churches were starting to get back to normal earlier this year, I went to a local conference of pastors here in town, and it was kind of a large-scale pastoral support group. And I had a uh, conversation with a man who pastors a large church, and he said that the expectation was, if I remember him correctly, somebody, some expert out there had told him this, that about 40% of your people are supposedly already back at church, about 30% of them will probably come back, and about 30% never will come back. And I was a bit surprised by that. I, I would even say that I was shocked to hear that, to think that at least in the large church context that there were about one-third of pre-COVID attenders who will never be seen again, which made me think, what was church to those people? A disease comes along that really does radically change your life for a year or two and then at the end of it, there is no longer any room on your calendar or maybe even any desire for gathering with God's people. I'm thankful that those percentages did not apply to us, but that has been on my mind all of these months, the need to make it clear what a church is. We need to understand what our gathering of God's people actually is from a biblical perspective, and to bring some light to the false ideas that have developed over time, maybe even decades with some people, in mainstream thinking as to what a church is supposed to be. So I'm going to throw out there some of these false notions that I have run into over the years before I get to the Bible passage that tells us something of what we are supposed to be. So I'm going to give you two of them, and then I'm going to come back to what a church is really supposed to be. The first one is church as a social club. Church as a social club. And there was a time in our nation's history, especially if you lived in, say, Nashville or Dallas, and I might even say Buffalo generations and generations ago, that if you wanted to get into a good network of people, find good job opportunities, maybe even meet a spouse, that you found the right church to join. And I say the right church, the place where the movers and the shakers were. I'm not saying that good Bible teaching and growth in holiness was not important to these folks, but maybe it was not the main thing. 
As long as the church was a benefit to you in some way, you go. But when the day comes when that church is no longer a benefit to you, well, what do you do? You, you stop going. And a rule of thumb at most churches, and from where I came from pre-CAS, uh, this rule was spot on, was that if a church has a thousand members, just a thousand members, that there will be a weekly attendance of 500 people. Half of the membership comes to church. And so in that, in that membership of a thousand people, 500 are there on Sunday mornings, out of the other 500 people, you would not be able to even find 250 of them. Gone. Still members, still on the roll, but no longer active in any way. And so in this way, the church has become more like a Sam's membership that you forget that you even have. And you're still on the rolls, you're still a member of sorts, but you are nowhere to be found. Or maybe like a, a subscription, maybe modernize this a little bit. One of those subscriptions that you bought a while back, probably a channel or something, and you just forget that you've got any more, and you just kind of keep paying for it. But you're a member of sorts. But here church becomes like that, and you're no longer there because it's not useful anymore. That's church as a social club. Secondly, church as weekly performance. And to be honest with you, this is the one that I have run into the most. And it's still very much alive, but I hope that that ship is running aground right about now. This is the way that church was mainly thought of in an era where church marketers were telling pastors what they needed to do to get the attendance up. Well, you know, you just got to do this and you got to do that and people will start coming to your church. And you turn the service into a performance that is done by professionals. And so the business world kind of infiltrated the church. Pastors and staff, what did they become? Management. And they took care of most of the ministry, and the lay people primarily came to consume the product that was presented on Sunday mornings. And so just like the world of capitalism and good business practices, you shop around and you find the best product that you can find for yourself. And so if the pastor is much more polished, he's much more polished way over there and does a lot better job of speaking, well, of course, you go there. And if the music ministry over here sounds like they should be recording records, well, why would you ever go to the church that just sings average Sunday morning songs? All the chips are pushed into that one or two hours on Sunday morning, and the only expectation for most people is that they just show up and watch. Well, back in 2020, a lot of people found out that you can watch a church service just fine from your living room in your pajamas, didn't they? And for a good many of them, I have to imagine that after a while, they just stopped watching and found something better to do with their time. There are so many things out there, aren't there, that are just competing in the market of good things to do with your time. And there's so many good performances out there in the world of entertainment, so eventually what happens is that attending a, a performance at church each week is going to lose the battle in the free market. Now, brothers and sisters, a church was always meant to be more than either of those things. God created the church to be 
a family, a family where the people know each other, where the people need one another, where things are happening inside of that family, not just during the time when they gather together for worship each week, but a family that still loves one another, cares for one another, serves one another throughout the week. And something that you and I should see that we actually need. We need each other. And the various people who make up the specific families that we call local churches, they have been placed there by God to grow that whole family, the entire body, each person, into maturity. We want to see everybody here grow up into the full man that looks like Jesus Christ. And so when a true Christian separates his or herself from the church, what are they doing? They're stunting their own growth, and they've put themselves in a very dangerous position. There are a lot of texts on the church and about what it is in the Bible, but one of the most helpful, I think, comes from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because when he's describing the church, he gives us such a helpful illustration here. In this passage, I'm not going to say that it covers all the things that need to be said on the topic of the church, but what it does say, I want it to be clear to you this morning so that you see the needfulness of the church in your life. And you won't just be quick to drop it when something else better comes along. You will see it as something that you absolutely need to have in order to grow up into the full man of Jesus Christ. All the people who make up this church are needed. You need to understand that no matter what your role is here, what your gift is here, you are needed here. There are no insignificant parts. There are no unneeded members. Whoever God calls to faith in Christ, He gifts that person in a way to play a role in the building up of the whole family. And so in this way, nobody can treat the church as a social club. It would just be impossible. If we're thinking biblically, we cannot treat the church as a social club, and we cannot treat the church as a performance that we attend one day or one hour out of the week. We are all needed. And so with that being said, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. I hope that you've got your Bibles open. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 12. Listen to what the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. 
nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honor, honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may all have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Heavenly Father, we want to rejoice in the truth that is set before us this morning. Set our hearts on your word and lead us, God, to function as a body. We are all different here. We've all been gifted differently, different backgrounds. But we ask, God, that you would lead us to demonstrate the unity that we have in Christ as a body working toward the same end. Bless us this morning as we hear your word. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We need to understand that there's always a context around any passage of Scripture. And so there was a reason that Paul put his pen to paper to write this particular passage to this particular church. And the reason was is that there was a division in the church at Corinth. There was some infighting, some frustration, some difficulty that was taking place there. And the division that he's addressing here has to do with spirituality. And whenever human pride begins to show up, some people will want to separate themselves from the rest of the people. They want to demonstrate that they are in a category that is higher than the others. And that's what was happening here at Corinth. Some people here considered themselves to be the super spiritual ones. They're the ones that you could look to and see that they had something, it seemed, that the others did not have. And so they began to consider themselves as being higher than these lesser than Christians. And the way that they made this distinction between themselves and the rest was the spiritual gifts that they had. And so some gifts in the church seemed more remarkable than others. They were much more visible than others. And only some of the people had those. And so that meant that the ones who had those particular gifts, they were super spiritual. And they began to act like they did not need the others. And so the so-called lesser spiritual people, what did they begin to think? They started to think that they were useless. Well, I don't have what these people have, therefore, I don't know my place. I'm not able to do the things that they do. That must mean that I'm less spiritual than they are, so maybe they don't need me. Maybe I'm not really a part of the church. And so Paul writes three chapters here to the church at Corinth to deal with this issue, to make it clear that the whole church is necessary, that each part is indispensable no matter what the gift is that you have. Look with me at verse 12. Look at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. And so the thing that he is emphasizing here is the oneness 
of the church. We're one body. We've been baptized by one spirit. So that's what he is seeking to emphasize here. The church is oneness. And he's saying, look at your body. The body that you have, the physical body that you have, is one unit. Yet, that one unit is made up of many members or parts. And to show the connection that he's making between the human body and the church, Paul finishes his statement here with something strange. He says, so it is with Christ. So it is with Christ. He does not say, as we might expect him to, just as your body is one, your physical body, and has many members, so it is with the church. That's what I would expect him to say. Look at your body. See how it is one? So it is with the church. But what does he say? He actually says, so it is with Christ. So it is with Christ. He is saying that the church is literally and genuinely the body of Jesus Christ. It's not merely an illustration that teaches a truth. This is a divine reality. He gives us more in verse 13. He says, in one spirit, we are all baptized. Again, all baptized into one body. So no matter who you were before or where you came from or what you look like, he says that when somebody comes to faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God baptizes you or plunges you, brings you into union with a spiritual body that belongs to Jesus Christ. You are unified with Him in this body that we call the church. And so you know the story when Paul was traveling on the Damascus Road. You remember that? He was opposed to the people of God. He was putting them in prison. He was persecuting the church. And Jesus meets him on that road. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now Jesus did, he could have said, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? Why are you persecuting my people, but he doesn't say that. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why? Because those people who are his have truly been joined to him. And when his people are persecuted, it is really an attack on Jesus himself. It's a pretty profound thought. I think so often becoming a follower of Jesus is just categorized as a decision that somebody makes to be something. Just like you might make a decision to become a Republican or you might make a decision to become a vegetarian. And then that person, whenever they make that decision, they begin to do their best at becoming a Christian. But the reality of what takes place, what Paul is saying here, is that when faith comes into your heart, there is a much more profound thing happening than you just making a decision. 
Something happens in a realm that you cannot see. God takes you, your life, your existence, your identity, and He plunges you down into Jesus Christ Himself. And you become truly part of Him. This is what Paul is saying is the work of God's Spirit. And there is no Christian, remember the all and the one, he's trying to make certain they understand that no real Christian is exempt from this. If you are a Christian, this has happened to you. There is a unity in the church that all the believers experience this work of God. This does not just happen to a handful of super spiritual Christians. All have been baptized into the body of Jesus Christ. Which makes it all the more absurd to think that a person can become a Christian or decide to follow Jesus and never be transformed in any way. Think about that. There is this metaphysical reality that has taken place where God has taken a person when they believe in Jesus and dropped them down into the holy Christ. And then for that person to say, you know, I don't really care about holiness or their life to never reflect holiness, that is absolutely absurd. How could transformation not take place if that is what has happened to you? How could your desires not be radically altered when you have entered into a new existence in the body of Jesus Christ? And so it just gives greater weight to everything that is taking place in the work of God when a person first believes the gospel. And all that we know at that moment, all I'm experiencing at that moment of sorts is, I want to follow Jesus I love Him, and I just want to be more like Him. That's what we're experiencing here, but Paul is telling us that much more is taking place in that moment, in the work of God. And this is what Paul tells this church in Corinth that is so divided. He's saying to them, some of you think that you are more lofty because of the way the Spirit manifests Himself in you, as if you are the only ones to have received the Spirit. But all of you have received one and the same Spirit. Now that Spirit might manifest Himself in the giftings, the various giftings that you have, but it is the same Spirit and the same power that is on each and every one of you. So none of you can ever say then, you are the super spiritual and everybody else is just the lesser than. And so it is true, isn't it, that your body does have various members. And not all the members, when he says members, he means parts. So all the various parts of the body do something different. We have one body, but the body is made up of various members. So there's a lot of diversity in your physical body. And every part of your physical body has been made by God to contribute something toward the overall health of your body. So think of all the things that make up your physical body, both inside and outside. And most of them you don't ever really think about until something goes wrong, but everything plays its role. 
And so how often do you think about your fingernails? You know, maybe, what, once or twice, once or every week, maybe once every two weeks, you know, depending on the person and how often you want your nails cut. But you're not thinking about them very often, are you? Like, they're not on your mind when you go to sleep at night, unless you got a hangnail. And what about your esophagus? You ever think about your esophagus? I have to admit, I never think about my esophagus. Maybe some of you do. you got acid reflux. You're probably thinking about it in the way that it hurts. But so often, you're just not thinking about the various parts of the body. They're just doing their job to contribute to the overall health of that body, right? And Paul relates that here to the church. And so in verses 15 to 17... He takes the perspective of the people at that church who are being told that they were inferior. And they had begun to believe that. And so he uses the foot and the ear as examples of parts of the body that may be considered inferior to other parts. So he says your foot might think that it's inferior to the hand. And your ear might think of itself as being inferior to the eye. So maybe those things do something that's a little more front and center. You know, your feet are often covered up, aren't they? Hands are not. Hands are always out there doing something. Ears are back side of your head, but everybody's always seeing your eyes, unless you've got ears that might stick out a bit like my own. He's saying that there is no, the parts of the body should not think that just because they seem to have an inferior role, that they have no place in the body. I mean, who wants a foot to get lopped off or to lose your hearing? I don't think anybody would want that. You would immediately begin to notice the deficiencies of not having your feet or not having your, your hearing, wouldn't you? So nobody wants that to take place. Both of those parts are needed for the overall health of the body. And so then he turns from those people who started to think of themselves as being inferior, and he looks at those then and says to those who think of themselves as superior, verse 21, he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And that was the thought in some of those people's minds. Because I'm so lofty and spiritual, they might say, what need do I have of Mr. A or Mrs. B? What good are they anyways? They can't help me grow You've seen how they are. They don't speak like I speak. They don't have the wisdom like I have. What good are they? As a matter of fact, I don't even know why they're here. And we might all just be better off if they weren't. No, Paul says, he looks at this body with a diverse cast of necessary members and says to them, that's exactly what you are. Every one of you, whether you are a hand, a foot, an eye, or an ear, you're all needed. Every one of you is necessary to build up the whole man into maturity. And right there in the middle of the passage is the truth that should decisively crush any pride that is existing in this church if it has not been done already. Verse 18, he says, But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. 
This is a work that God himself has done. Why would that crush pride? Because there's going to be some people in that church who think that it is because they are so great, that's why they have the gifts that they have. That's why they seem to be more prominent or out in front. It's because God, in a sense, kind of needed them. They must be better than the rest. And so any thought, Paul is saying, that you might have, that you have earned your gift or your place in the body, he crushes that and says, this is a work of God. And so often, if we don't understand how God works, often he takes what is lesser in the world and raises it up to crush the wisdom of man. So he says earlier to this church at Corinth, look around. Look around at yourselves. Look to your left and look to your right at the people that God has chosen to bring into his kingdom. Do you think that it looks like that he brought all the wealthy, the powerful, and the great into his kingdom? No, look around. He takes what is least in the world to bring shame upon those who say they are strong. And in this way, if you were to apply that same truth here, if you are prominent in the church, it might just very well be that in God's wisdom, he took what was lesser than to raise it up and give it a place of prominence. It's not because you were already so great. In fact, it might just be because you were so weak. So Paul says your gift really has nothing to do with yourself. And there is no pride that you can take in anything in life that you have received. It's a gift, he says, truly given by God, not earned. So just as God designed the human body to be constructed the way that it is, He has constructed the body of Christ to be the way that it is as well. And so each part, each person, has received his or her gift and place from God to serve in the body as He has seen fit. He did it. So there's no place in the church for anyone to boast. No place for bragging here. Because none of us has anything that we have not received from the hand of God. And so Paul, again, making it very clear to this church, there is no reason for one member or another to think lesser of himself or higher of himself based on what he has. It was a gift from God. All we can do is faithfully be what we have been called to be with what God has given to us. Never comparing ourselves to the other members of the body. And isn't that what so often happens? Instead of looking to God and giving thanks to Him for what He has done, we end up looking at one another and trying to figure out, well, who am I greater than? And maybe who am I lesser than? Always comparing ourselves to the other parts. But as far as I know, my feet have never complained that they were not hands. Nor have my hands ever rejoiced because they were not feet. They simply do what God has put them in the body to do. And so should it be with us. So brothers and sisters, each one of you 
who have been plunged into Christ by faith through the Spirit of God, have been gifted by God to function here in this local church with some role, with some gift of the Spirit to build up this body. And so there are no spectators here. There's no dormant memberships here. You are necessary. God has made it so. And there might be the temptation to think from time to time, well, because I'm not a teacher, or maybe because I'm not out in front, or maybe I don't have the wisdom that that lady has, because I don't have a prominent role, that I'm just another cog in the machine. Well, this text right here in front of us, it blows all of that up. It destroys it. Every person who is a part of the body is needed. Some parts will be more out in front. Other parts will be more behind the scenes. Just like some of the parts of your body are that way. Do we not have more presentable parts on our body than others? We do wear clothes, do we not? Well, that's the way he says the body of Christ is as well. Some are more visible. Some are more out in front. And some are more modest. But the point of the body is what the entire body cares for all of the parts, regardless of where it is placed. Last winter, I got one of those dreaded toothaches. Maybe you've had one of those as well. It's one of those where everything hurts because that tooth is hurting inside of my mouth. And it was one of my back molars. Back molar. I don't think a lot about my back molars. I don't go around showing off my back molars. People don't flex their molars like they do their biceps. It's not something that is out in front, is it? But I like having molars because they chew up hard food and do the job that my more presentable, somewhat presentable teeth can't. So I don't usually think about them, but when I do, it's because they hurt. They're hurting. And I do think of them when they are extracted. And maybe that's not the best illustration for what we're talking about here. And maybe I shouldn't mention the appendix that I had removed 20 years ago either. You know, some parts you end up of the body end up doing without, and maybe you function okay. But the point I suppose that I should make is what Paul does here in verse 26. He says, there is a kind of unity in the entire body that when one of the individual members of the body suffers, the back molar, when it suffers, it hurts everything. That's the way it's supposed to be. So that one of our members of the body, one of the parts of this body, suffer. It's not as if we just go along like nothing ever happened. A family and a body does not function that way. And so when somebody just disappears, we should notice. When someone is extracted of sorts, when somebody vanishes, the rest of the body should take note. And when one member of that body is struggling, hurting, devastated, there is an effect that takes place on the rest of the members. It should be that way. So what does that say about us in the way that we function? And so if the body is functioning the way that it is supposed to, we cannot come and just be spectators at a performance because we won't know each other. 
We won't know what's going on in other people's lives if we just show up and watch. And if we come to church thinking that it is just a social event that I can use or a social club that I can use to network a little bit better, chances are I'm not really getting to know those people very well there either. I'm just trying to advance my own cause. But in the real body of Christ, it becomes necessary that we know each other very personally so that we will know when one member of the body is hurting so that we will know when one member of the body is rejoicing. There's no way that the rest of my body did not take note when my tooth hurt. So it should be here. What a good illustration given by Paul, right? And so it should be in the church of the living God. And so our aim in this church is to have a unity a genuine unity, a genuine oneness in the diversity that we have where each person who chooses to commit his or herself to this people is going to serve the whole with the gifting that you have. And there are going to be a lot of people who wander in and out of this church, but if these are your people here, if these are your people, if this is the body that you belong to, understand that you are needed at a greater level than just attending on a Sunday morning. You're going to have to attend other things or ask people to go places with you, invite them into your homes, come to the prayer gatherings, come to the prayer dinners, be at the place where the rest of the body is so that you can get to know it and fulfill the function that you have. Most of you I would even say 75%, 90%, I don't know what it is, but I will say that the majority of the people in this church will not be able to truly use your gifts in an hour on Sunday morning where you are sitting here for worship. There's going to have to be some connectivity that you have to the rest in order to exercise the gift that God has given to you. So every person here is needed and every person is gifted. So what have you been gifted to do? Some of you have the gift of encouragement. Maybe that's making phone calls. Maybe that's writing cards. Some of you all have the gift of compassion. You, you genuinely notice when people are hurting. You're paying attention to that. And you want to pray with people and care for people and be with them while they suffer. Some of you are teachers who are able to communicate God's truths. Some of you all have great wisdom, not just from your life experience, but given to you by God to help other people along the path. And some of you all have a servant's heart to do the tasks that other people do not see and maybe don't want to see, but you see them and you do them. And so God has chosen to arrange the various members here, the individual parts of the body, not to be a member of a social club, not to attend a performance, but to make disciples, to prepare the other people here for heaven, eternity with Jesus Christ. God is doing a work through all of you for the good of the whole. And what a privilege it is to be in the body of Christ. And so if you take nothing else out of this this morning, just the fact that you just should rejoice 
at the work that God is do, has done in bringing you to the body and plunging you into it, the body of Christ, the body of Christ. Rejoice at the privilege that that is and do not take it for granted. It should never be taken lightly. It should never be dropped quickly or just walked away from as if it does not matter. I hope that this text shows you that it does and that you do matter here. And so whoever you are, no matter your gift, you are just as much a part of this body as anybody else. God has done it, and we praise Him for it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning for this text of Scripture. We often need our wrong thinking corrected. And I pray, Father, that our minds and our hearts are thinking rightly about Your church. We want to praise You, God, for the work that You have done in us in bringing us to faith and plunging us into the body of Jesus Christ. We are so intimately connected to Him. We have been unified to Him where it truly can be said of us that we are in Christ, like Paul says so many times in his letters. We are in Him. And we're also joined very intimately to one another in such a way that we should know what is happening to the other people here, happening in the body, bearing one another's burdens, serving one another, loving one another, with the intent to build everyone up into the fullness of maturity. Please give us that mission here to make disciples and use our gifts for the good of all. And we ask it in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for making us part of your body. Amen.